plans for my crazy day. My packed commute. All those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are locked on Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are locked on Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, the publisher of PackerReport.com, part of the Scout.com network, which brings you some of the best NFL and college football coverage that you will find anywhere. And we will continue our preview of Sunday's NFC Championship game between the Falcons and Packers with our Thursday's Matchups podcast. But before we get rolling, I'd like to remind you to please check out the rest of the great Locked On podcast network, which includes Locked On NFL, Locked On NFL Draft, which is up like number 30 on the iTunes charts, and Locked On Falcons, which will get you ready for Sunday. And of course, check out my writing over at PackerReport.com. We've got stories up on Julius Peppers, um, the unbelievable continuity on both offensive lines, injury updates, Jordy Nelson returning to practice, and I will get into that shortly and a lot more. And of course, the world's best preview will be up sometime late Friday, very early Saturday. And of course, Packer Report members receive 10% discounts on tickets through Ticketmonster, 10% discounts on gear through Fanatics, and new or renewing annual members get one year of Sports Illustrated. A great, great bargain. All right, let's just dig right into it, right? First down will be the injury updates from Wednesday. Then second down, the Packers offense. Third down, their defense. Fourth down, special teams. First down, the big news from Wednesday. Jordy Nelson practiced. Devontae Adams did not. Here's the highlights from the injury report on the did-not-participate list. Adams with an ankle. Fellow receiver Geronimo Allison hamstring. Safety Morgan Burnett quad. Um, then otherwise, it was uh, Mason Crosby missed because of illness. Julius Peppers with his usual Wednesday rest. James Starks still has a concussion. And J.C. Treader with a knee. Guys limited. More receivers. Jeff Janis quad. And uh, Nelson, guard T.J. Lang with the foot. And cornerback Quinton Rollins uh, with neck and concussion. Um, before practice, McCarthy said that Rollins was still in the concussion protocol but getting close to getting out. I'm wondering if he has finally emerged from that. In full participation, full participation outside linebackers, Jamon Elliott, Clay Matthews, and Nick Perry. With that, the big news, of course, is, is Nelson. I don't know what all he did. Not much. So if there's degrees of uh, limited, I would say it was very, very limited. Um, I, I asked him what he did right out of the bat yesterday. I just caught some balls, tried to slowly work back to it and feel things out. Then he was asked the odds of him playing on Sunday. I don't know, he said. It's obviously a long ways away. I've improved every day. Hopefully that continues. Then he was asked if it's getting any easier to breathe. That was one of the things that was mentioned during the Fox pregame coverage on Sunday at Dallas. Nelson. Yeah, that's been fine for a while now. That's a process as well, all through last week, but it's been good for a while. Then he was asked, is it going to be pain tolerance or safety that determines whether he plays on Sunday? He said, combination of that, pain tolerance, docs are proving that it's okay and both being, being fully functional. 
I've got to be able to go out and perform. There's a great line here. I just can't be out there slowly running or just being some random person. After um, after the injury, um, the next day, uh, Coach McCarthy said that, that Nelson was hospitalized because of it, which led to um, concerns and speculation that he had some internal damage there. Uh, that was not the case, Nelson said. Here's what he said about that. The hospital stay, I think, was mainly, well, first, it was to get over there to see what was going on after we found out that they were broken here. And then they can make you feel very comfortable in a bed. So he decided to stay there. He left it. He left at that line. He said, and by the time I got everything done, it was late at night and it was easier to stay the night. If I wanted to, I could have went home, but I was comfortable and it was just easier to stay there instead of trying to move and everything. He was asked how much pain he was in on the sideline. We, we, you know, we, you know, he's face down on the, on the sideline for a good five minutes probably in that Giants game. He said, I, I've never been like that before. It was the worst pain I've ever felt. Hopefully it doesn't happen again. It's not fun. And then I asked him, and you, you, you got to see the body language I'm going to do here. But basically I put my hands or, or, or above my head and said, how do you play receiver with broken ribs? And I put my hands out. If you have to catch a ball like this, I mean, and then I said it exposes you to another hit. Then, of course, I, I preface all that by saying I never played wide receiver or had broken ribs. So Nelson goes, I've never played receiver with broken ribs either. We'll find out, hopefully. I don't know if you can prepare. It's one of those things that you'll figure out when you get out there. If it happens, we'll see how it goes. But right now... I'm just focused on getting back to full motion, doing everything, and seeing if we can get that opportunity, and it would be a great chance to have. So, it, I don't think he's going to play. I, just, it, I, the Super Bowl, if they get there, that seems possible. But man, playing with broken ribs two weeks after the after the injury that that seems that seems difficult. Green Bay's got some trouble here. We had. Asked Mike McCarthy on Wednesday about if he had any concern about Adams. And he said, basically, we'll see. And he's hoping Adams will practice on Saturday. Now, Adams certainly could play without practicing. But you remember last year, he had that early season ankle injury and he was never the same player. Now, clearly, this could be like comparing apples to avocados, right? I mean, this could be far less of an ankle injury, far less problematic if he plays. Um, he's got some experience playing through, so that should help. So, I don't want to get. I mean, I don't. I don't want everyone setting off the uh, reaching for the panic buttons here about Adam's situation and comparing it to last year. But it probably is worth noting that it was a real struggle last year. And of course, we don't know. Adams didn't talk to us yesterday. We don't know if it's look on on Monday. McCarthy pointed out that in this game, it's going to be about getting guys ready to play and not so much the practice time. And so, this very well could be the case with Adams that. You know, just get them through the week, get them to Wednesday, get them out there, let them run around a little bit and play on Sunday. And the with the goal of him being good to go for Sunday. So this could be, you know, the the logical caution to have for this game. But we don't know. It, it is, and I thought Aaron Rodgers at his Wednesday press conference was um, a little bit more low key than he is. Now that could be. He's used, to his, he's used to his usual Wednesday gig at his locker, so this is a little bit different now. Of course, he has his post-game interviews at the uh, 
in the media room, so at a media auditorium. So I, I don't know. But he, to me, he seemed a little, a little low key yesterday. And I'm thinking, well, in retrospect, are you low key because Devontae Adams is in trouble injury wise? Geronimo Allison in a practice. You're probably not going to get Jordy Nelson. I mean, how in the hell are you going to win a championship game with three of your top four receivers either not playing or limited? So, of course, this is all speculation, and we'll find out about that on Sunday. If your company would like to speak directly to Packers fans, this is the podcast for you. If your company is interested in men between the ages of 18 and 54, then you really should consider sponsoring this podcast. Our audience is 97% men and 79% of our audience is between the ages of 18 and 44. And recent surveys have shown that podcast listeners are 65% more willing to consider purchasing products they learn about from podcasts and 60% given equal price and quality prefer to purchase from their favorite podcast. Our rates are reasonable, so please email me at packwriter2002 at yahoo.com. I'm sure you can spell it, but I will anyways. P-A-C-K-W-R-I-T-E-R 2002 at yahoo.com for more information. All right, second down, and that is Green Bay's offense against Atlanta's defense. This is Mismatch City. And it's gonna be, of course, going to be the other one. When we get to third down, I'll say the same thing. During Green Bay's eight-game winning streak, to review here, Aaron Rodgers, 68.9% completions, 298 yards per game, 21 touchdowns, one interception, merely 117.9 pass rating. Over the course of that winning streak, Riders leads the NFL in passing yards per game, second in pass rating, third in completion percentage, first in touchdowns. And, you know, I've gone over this before. This is, this is not coming against the Sisters of the Poor. It's, you know, my, when I played at UW-Whitewater, our, uh, our, head, our uh, head coach is Bob Brezowitz. Offensive coordinator was Stan Zwiefel. Stan, I think, is at the University of Dubuque now. Stan would always say, We're not, you're not playing Pitchfork Creek and Burning Stump this week. That was, his, that was his favorite knockoff schools. Pitchfork Creek, Burning Stump. So, I mean, he has de- destroyed the Giants, and they were second in points allowed. The Seahawks were third in points allowed. The Cowboys, fifth. The Vikings 6th, the Texans 11th, the Eagles 12th, the Lions 13th. Really the only bad defense he's played during that span is the Bears. And he's destroyed them all. Um, Falcons coach Dan Quinn from yesterday. This was to his own guys. So we had him on the conference call too, but this is to the reporters in Atlanta. Inside the pocket, it's the release. He can get the ball out of his hands so quickly to the right guy based on the coverage. One of the hardest things to simulate, you can imagine, is when a person gets outside the pocket to get down the field. How do you match up on the receivers? How do you take care of the quarterback? So it takes a lot of work. Fortunately for us, some of the last quarterbacks that we've played have outside the pocket movement. I'm not comparing them to anyone else. I want to make sure that's really clear. But we do try to simulate that as well as we can. It's not always easy. And he's talking about last week against Seattle, against Russell Wilson for one. The Falcons had their way at the Seahawks. You know, Seattle went right down the field and scored right off the bat. But Atlanta really slammed the door there. But, a big but here, Seattle's offensive line stinks. And Atlanta dominated up front and didn't really give Russell Wilson a chance to exploit what you would think were some matchup advantages in his favor. 
Um, you know, Doug Baldwin had a big game as it was, but Baldwin and Jimmy Graham, I mean, those should have been big matchups for, in Seattle's favor. But Atlanta overwhelmed Seattle's front. Now, obviously, Green Bay's front infinitely better than Seattle. I mean, Green Bay's got a second-team all-pro left tackle, David Bakhtiari. Seattle's got a college basketball player who played one year of tight end at Western Kentucky or Eastern Kentucky or Hell, maybe it was Pitchfork Creek. I have no idea. But that was their starting left tackle. So, okay, Atlanta's defense is horrible. I'm not going to spin this any other way. I mean, I, did, I was on a radio show down in Atlanta the other day, and the, and the host pointed out that the Falcons' defense has improved, and I'm thinking, well, BS, they stink. They beat Seattle. Atlanta, 27th in scoring, 25th in yards, 20th in passing yards, 26th in sacks per attempt, 24th in interceptions per attempt, 26th on third down, and merely 32nd in the red zone. Not good. Atlanta's been without their top cornerback, Desmond Trufant, for about the second half of the year. They tore up pectoral. The rest of the guys just haven't been up to the task. You know, it's kind of like Sam Shields with Green Bay. It's not just losing your guy, but it's everybody else has to move up a notch. So in Atlanta's case, it's it's Robert Al- Robert Alford you know, moves into the number one hole against instead of Trufant. It's Jalen Collins, who was wasn't even active. And this wasn't an injury active. This is a healthy and active. In the week eight game against Green Bay, he now starts. It's actually been pretty good. And and I asked uh, I asked Quinn about him in our conference call on Wednesday. And he was pretty complimentary toward him. Then again, he's going to be complimentary. Right? He's not going to he's not going to tell me that he stinks. But but he wasn't even good enough to be active in week eight, and he now starts. And their slot guy is Brian Poole, an undrafted rookie who's about five foot nine. Green Bay should wear these guys out, of course, assuming Adams plays. Allison plays. So I I said there's a a big asterisk there. Alford is their speed guy on the outside. Jalen Collins, a guy who some Packers fans wanted in that 2015 draft. I was like, no way on him. Now he's big. He's 6'1 1⁄2. He ran 4.48 in the 40th the combine. But I remember, in fact, I looked it up yesterday. During his final season in LSU, he started seven games. Now, I realize LSU cranks out defensive backs like Ford cranks out, uh, I was going to say they crank out escorts. They don't, they, don't, they don't make the escort anymore. And I've, n- I've not been car shopping in many years, so I don't know. Um, the escape, yeah, my neighbor's got an escape. So they crank out corners like escapes. But still, if you're only a part-time starter at your school, you're probably not a finished product. And there's probably some, some chink in the armor there, so to speak. Green Bay's got to exploit that group. Alford's not physical enough. I'm not sure Collins is good enough. I don't think Poole's good enough. Excuse me, getting a drink of coffee. So, assuming assuming they're healthy, it's advantage Green Bay here. And then you go back to that Week 8 game that Green Bay lost. Remember, they did not have Randall Cobb, and they did not have Jared Cook, and they did not have Ty Montgomery. And against the Cowboys, excuse me, not against the Cowboys and Giants, Cobb and Cookie combined 23 catches, 329 yards, four touchdowns. They've been great. They did not play in week eight, and the Packers, of course, only lost 33 to 32. Adams had 12 catches in that game. So obviously his health is going to be huge. 
Atlanta does not rush the pass right. I mean, I gave you the sack rate a little while ago. They have one pass rusher. Count them. One. Vic Beasley. Of course, he's damn good. If you're, if you're only going to have one pass rusher, it's probably good when your number one pass rusher leads the NFL in sacks and forced fumbles. And that would be Vic Beasley. He was the number eight pick in last year's draft. 15 and a half sacks, six forced fumbles. Unlike most teams who have their premier pass rusher against the left tackle, he brushes against the right tackle, so that'll be Brian Balaga. He beat Balaga for one sack in that Week 8 game, but otherwise, Balaga won that matchup to such an extent that uh, that Quinn felt compelled to use Beasley as a spy against Riders. That wasn't completely because he, Balaga was winning, but Beasley was the spy. But he is a one-man pass rush. Their second-leading sacker, Adrian Claiborne, four and a half sacks. He's out too, torn pectoral. So that leaves their low, their best remaining sack guy, Dwight Freeney. He had three. Of course, Freeney destroyed the Packers in with the Cardinals last year, week 16. That was the the gigantic debacle with the offensive line. All, all the offensive linemen got hurt, and he was beating up on, on Don Barclay. So if you can just contain Beasley. I would think Rodgers will have a free reign in the secondary. The linebackers, very fast. Deion Jones, their second-round pick, a guy that that Packers fans were really high on and coming into this year's the 2016 draft, as that coverage guy, and he's been he's been terrific. 106 tackles. Not only leads the team, but it leads all uh, all rookies. Um, the other, another rookie linebacker, Devondre Campbell, fourth round pick, really a good pass cover guy. I, mean, I, I he's from Minnesota. Another guy I really liked. I thought he was totally undervalued by the media pundits. I mean, he's like a six four guy. He ran well. I'm thinking, boy, this guy's a good player. I don't know what I'd do with him because he was, didn't have great production and he wasn't a big pass rush guy. But I thought, boy, I don't know what I'd do with him. I'd sure as hell figure it out. And he's been damn good too. Um, their first-round pick is safety Keanu Neal. He's second among all NFL rookies with 105 tackles and tied for third in the NFL among all players with five forced fumbles. Uh, back to Jones. Three picks, and he led all NFL linebackers with 11 passes defense. So they, they've got they drafted really, really well. I mean, you look at Green Bay's rookie class of Kenny Clark, Kyler Fackrell, Blake Martinez on defense. Those guys, Clark's been really, really good. Down the stretch. Fackrell didn't even play on defense, and Blake Martinez played one snap last week. So they've got not nearly enough impact. And Atlanta, of course, has got gigantic impact from Neal, Jones, and Campbell. Now it helps that they drafted ahead of Green Bay in all those rounds. They got better players, for sure. But Atlanta's got a lot of impact from that rookie class. All right, third down, and then is Atlanta's offense against Green Bay's defense. And this is, if if Rodgers against the Falcons is a gigantic mismatch, I have no idea what to categorize this. The mismatch of all mismatches, on paper anyways. If you thought Rodgers is hot, and Rodgers is hot, but somehow this has gone under the radar. Maybe not in Atlanta, but somehow this has gone under the radar. Atlanta's won five in a row. During those five games, Matt Ryan's pass rating is 131.8. 
If you thought Rodgers is hot, Rodgers has got nothing on Matt Ryan. All those games, 125-plus pass rating, um, 73%, 294 yards, 14 touchdowns, no picks during that span. And for the year, I mean, Ryan's going to win the MVP. And if he doesn't win the MVP, then something's wrong. Almost 5,000 yards, 39 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, a 117.1 pass rating, which I believe is the fourth best in NFL history. And he has just got a ridiculous number of weapons. You know, sometimes the quarterback makes the, the receivers look better. Sometimes the receiver makes the quarterback look better. There's nothing going on here. This is, the quarterback is great. The targets are great. This is just great. This might be, I mean, they didn't score as many points as the 2011 Packers. That team scored 560. This team scored 540. Really 70 points more than anybody else in the league, by the way. 71 points. So that puts you some perspective. Obviously, Julio Jones is the guy. Even though he had three catches for 29 yards in that first game against Green Bay, remember he fell on his back early in that game, and he kept playing, but not the same guy. And even though he's done with a turf, well, not turf toe, a toe injury for most of the second half of the year, he was still the only receiver in the NFL to average more than 100 yards per game. So in 14 games, he had 1,409 yards and 17 yards per catch. He's 6'3". He's like 220. He's fast. This guy, he is, he's probably better than Calvin Johnson. Now, Johnson was 6'5". But from a pure football perspective, I mean, it, Johnson became a really good football player, too, as his career went on. But, I mean, Julio Jones is big. He's fast. He's a competitor. He's a, he's a polished player. He's the best player in this league, receiver-wise. Asked the Panthers in week four, he had 300 yards. Uh, so I asked, I asked Ryan, I kind of just kind of hit on this, but I, I asked Matt Ryan, you know, besides being big and fast, what about Julio? He goes, I think his preparation, his work ethic, is as good as anybody I've been around. He's a relentless competitor. He really is one of the best competitors I've been around. So, I, so I think you combine that with his size and speed, and it makes for a really good player. Now here's the deal. They are loaded with weapons. Just absolutely loaded. Here, so, Muhammad Sanu, who killed the Packers in that first game, 59 catches, 653 yards, four touchdowns. Running back Devontae Freeman, 54 catches, 462 yards. Uh, wide receiver Taylor Gabriel, 35 catches, 579 yards, a 16.5-yard average. Ty Jones with six touchdowns. Running back Tevin Coleman, 31 catches, 421 yards. Running back Jacob Tammy, 22 for 210. Uh, receiver Justin Hardy, 21 for 203. Uh, receiver by the name of Robinson, who I'm drawing a blank on the first name, 20 for 323, a 16.2-yard average. Tight end Austin Hooper, 19 for 271. Tight end um, something, um, I can't pronounce, Tuaolo. 13 for 264, a 20.3-yard average. Now, he's our blocking guy, and two touchdowns. So you add all this up, and, and this is what you get for, for some of this position stuff. The running backs, Freeman and Coleman, 85 catches. 
for 883 yards and five touchdowns. That's running backs. Their tight ends combined for 54 catches and eight touchdowns. Um, they had eight players catch at least 20 passes and an NFL record 13 with at least one touchdown catch and an NFL record 10 with at least two. They led the NFL in 25-yard passing plays. This is a great offense. And then you look at Green Bay's defense and you say, holy crap, how in the hell do they get a stop? <laughs> you know, Ryan used to throw some interceptions. He doesn't anymore. Um, they don't turn it over. They've got run-pass balance. They can throw it short. They can throw it deep. They can throw it over the middle. They can throw it to the sideline. This is going to be a daunting challenge for the Green Bay defense. I mean, look, I'll get to the running game here right now. Freeman ran for 1,079 yards. Tevin Coleman, a rookie, added 520. He was, he was an active one of three games. He was an active for the Week 8 game against Green Bay. So combined, it's merely 1,599 yards and 19 touchdowns. So Green Bay's, you know, the, Green Bay's got the quarterback in a passing game, assuming they're all healthy, but you know, Rodgers, if Rodgers does this alone, he's got some help from Montgomery, but Atlanta's got a great running attack. They, they finished fifth in the league in rushing. I would not have guessed that until I started you know, breaking this game down myself on Monday. So this is going to be a big, big challenge for this Packers defense. So how do you stop him? Well, Julius Peppers was asked just that during his news conference yesterday. The focus is always to try and make them one-dimensional when it's a team that is very balanced like this team is. You can't let them do everything that they want to do. You want to take something away. Which one? We don't know yet. It's going to be a tough challenge for us to try and slow them down. They are a very high-powered offense. You saw that in the first game. Ryan, 28 for 35 for 288 and three touchdowns. A 129.5 pass rating. The Packers did not have Demarius Randall and Quinton Rollins for that game. Randall will play. I'm thinking Rollins is going to. But, shoot, I mean, they haven't played well, right? And then, you know, the number one is lit, corner is Ladarius Gunter, who's, who's been really good at times and, and really struggled at times. Um, his physicality will certainly be an asset against Jones, but he can't run with him. And Morgan Burnett's got the, the, the thigh injury. Man, I, don't, I have no idea how you get a stop. But then again, the Falcons are probably thinking the same thing. How in the hell are we going to stop Aaron Rodgers? This is going to be... Some sort of fun to watch. A little bit stressful for you, and probably for me too, as I try to write a game story. But I think there'll be a few points scored. That's my uh, my uh, lock of the week. All right, that takes us to fourth down, and I look at the special teams. Pretty good units here. Not great. In the Pack Report special teams rankings, which are posted in the subscriber forums, Atlanta finished 13th. Green Bay finished 17th. Mason Crosby, of course, coming off the memorable 56 and 51 yard field goals against the Cowboys. The return unit, though, not, not getting much done there. You know, Micah Hyde handles punts, and he's a good punt returner, but, you know, how much of an asset can you be returning punts when you're also playing every single down in the slot? I mean, he's a, he's a terrific athlete, got good stamina, but that's a, that's a lot to ask. Hyde, go he actually feel the punt and do something with it. The kickoff returns, you know, Jeff Janis has been, eh, okay at times. 
Kristen Michaels dropped two during his brief tenure, and I, I wonder, what, what do the Packers do there? I, I don't know where they turn. Without, if, you, if you want to replace Michael, it's like, well, who are you going to do it with? And the only logical guy is Ty Montgomery, but he's your starting running back. So do you want, do you want to use a bunch of him back there if he's going to be you know, in a 20-touch sort of game, especially with Allison and, and Adams? Injury situations, he might get more of a role than he would have normally. So, man, I don't know. If you're Green Bay, I'm thinking, boy, just kick the ball out of the end zone, please, so we don't have to make any decisions on this. Um, for Atlanta, Eric Weems returns kickoffs and punts. He's been a Pro Bowl caliber guy throughout his career. 23 yards on kickoff returns, 11.4 on punts. Also a team-high 15 tackles. Kicker Matt Bryant, one of the best in the league. Of course, some of this is dome-aided. 34-37 to 37 for the year, including 6 out of 8 from 50-plus. And Matt Bosher, um, one of the best punters in the league. Again, this is, you know, it's all kind of dome-aided, of course. He uh, ranked 6th in the league in net average at 41.6. 21 punts inside the 20, one touchback. He also handles kickoffs and was uh, among the league leaders in, in touchbacks and touchback percentage. Again, if you're Green Bay, I'm thinking, yeah, touchbacks would be, would be great. We get the ball to 25, thank you very much. And, you know, that, that's really been Green Bay's way for most of the year. If you kick the ball to the end zone, they're staying in there. And statistically, if you look at the numbers throughout the entire year, which me, of course, being Mr. Stats Guy and Stats are for losers, as my nickname goes. Now, I have crunched the numbers, and, you know, statistically speaking, Every, almost every team in the league is better off just keeping the ball in the end zone and taking the ball to 25. So I think, I think that's, if you're Green Bay, I would think that's the hope for Sunday. And one last extra point, Conference Championship Weekend quarterbacks. Tom Brady, four Super Bowl wins. Ben Roethlisberger, two. Aaron Rodgers, one. By my math, four plus two plus one is seven. The most combined Super Bowl rings for any championship ranking or championship weekend quartet would be five. That was uh, um, the last couple years. 2014 with Brady, Riders, and Wilson. And 2015 with Brady and Manning each had five. So this is the most rings among the Super Bowl quarterbacks in NFL history. And that will do it for this episode of Lockdown Packers. Thank you as always for listening. Like I like to tell you, I want to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to talk to myself for half an hour. So thank you for, uh, for putting up with me for a half hour every day. I truly, truly appreciate it. Have a great day. And I'm hoping we'll have our Behind Enemy Lines podcast for tomorrow. I have not heard back from my colleague down in Atlanta. Otherwise, you're stuck with more, than, we're stuck with, uh, more of me. And for that, I apologize in advance. So have a great day, everybody. And in some form or fashion, I will talk to you tomorrow. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst.